Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Oh, go on with your sympathy. You know, so apparently Joe Cool marched the ball down the field last night. John Candy was supposed to stay in the stands, not actually come and run some plays. And yet here he is. Praise the Lord. Without controversy, Tony, Randy, Kenny have been used as God's servitors to prepare a propitious table before us to come together and dine. Truly, good measure, pressed down, our cup is running over, we are full. Thank you, gentlemen. Truly, to God be the glory. And so it seems my lot has fallen to accept the bittersweet task of merely bussing the table. Make no mistake, it is my inexpressible honor to do so. Time would fail me to review all where we have journeyed together through the amazing historical drama of Israel's flight from Egypt to the then near side banks of the Red Sea, hotly pursued by Pharaoh and his chariots. And though our agenda of taking you clear through to the standing still and seeing of the salvation of the Lord, thoroughly accomplished and exhausted, I am encouraged to report by way of introduction there is yet straw and provender enough to make brick by turning to a corollary passage of commentary on this remarkable miracle of the Red Sea parting. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 22 through 29 which see by faith Joseph when he died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. You learned about that. You learned about that with Randy didn't you? You know why that's in there? That's in there for a doctrinal reason, a promise of the restoration of the nation of Israel. For all of those conceited, ignorant, and blind people who can't understand that doctrine. Those aren't my words, those are Paul's. I'm not hating, I'm just stating. So I haven't violated it yet. It doesn't, it doesn't count when I'm quoting Paul. But devotionally, it is without question a picture of the rapture of the church. God takes his son out of Egypt. He takes his children out of this world system. And he does it flesh and bones as they saw Christ. For it is out of Egypt God calls his son, Egypt this type of the world, the flesh, and the, and, and, and the devil. <clears throat> Pharaoh, one of the best pictures of Satan, Randy also mentioned him being referred to as a dragon. And here he is in a sea, in, in metal chariots. There's a dragon in a sea that commands ships of horse men. But I digress, lest we get a little bit too weird. Oh, yeah, brother, don't tell me, man. (laughs) By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. How do you create a leader that's going to take people through the end of an age right up and through the rapture to have to have the faith to endure that? Well, it's going to take some parents who aren't afraid of the commandments of the king. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And what is faith? 
It's that substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Through faith he kept the Passover as we keep the Passover by our faith in Jesus Christ once for all. For Christ is our Passover. This is the group that's going up. This is the group who flesh and bones will pass through a Red Sea at the top of the universe into a kingdom of glory prepared by the son of David for his Gentile bride above that frozen wilderness atop a manna. Lest he that destroyed the what? Because it's that same sea that destroys those of the firstborn. It is only that secondborn that won't be drowned. Horse and rider. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assigned to do were drowned. And they got to the other side, and of course we know they sang the same song that the children of Israel will sing in the wilderness in Petra. The song of Moses. A great song to be sure. There is only one song better, perhaps. A song reserved for the bride of Christ. Sung by the son of, the, the son of David. To his Gentile bride. Well, how do you know it's a better song than the song of Moses? Because it's the song of songs. As we take our toil from this world and actually turn what we took from this earth and translate that into gold as we spoil this world, turning our work for Christ down here into crowns to lay the feet of Jesus Christ. Now this is a glorious message. And by faith we can see the invisible as the visible, albeit through a glass darkly. The far side banks of the sea crystal and the celestial shores of a land that is fairer than day. But until this blessed deliverance to pick it up where the right Reverend Morgan left off, what does it mean to stand still? How can we see the salvation of the Lord before we reach the vestibule of Zion? If we are indeed to occupy till he comes, what precisely is the activity of that occupation? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this evening that Laodiceans have confused some things. In fact, I can hardly think of what they haven't confused. We seem to have such great affection for the sweet by and by, and yet either apathy or disdain for the nasty now and now. So let us be clear in our minds about what Kenny both said and did not say last night. Let us not think that being still emotionally equates to inactivity. Let us not think the road to resurrection somehow bypasses Gethsemane and betrayals and trials and imprisonment and torture and the cross and the tomb are that suffering begets glorification that except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. Let us be reminded that the entire spectacle of the Red Sea crossing operating in Congress with the ensample of the life, ministry, and passion of our Lord has been provided to make clear that we have not been given a way out. You heard me right. There is no way out. The only way out is up. And up isn't a way out. Do you know what up is? Up is just like the Red Sea crossing. It's not a way out, brothers and sisters. It's a way through. A road traversing a veil of tears, though a right road that always leads out to the right place. Who could doubt this to be the objectively ascertained devotional application of the author of Hebrews in tying this supernatural Exodus account to such a passage as this. Observe further, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 through 34. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not 
when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and flight and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Oh yeah, brother. Rahab wasn't told to leave Jericho before the walls fell down. She lived through the falling down of the walls. Daniel didn't avoid the lion's den. He was tossed in the lion's den where he avoided the mouth of the lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't spared the trial of being thrown into the raging conflagration of the furnace. They were spared the violence of the flame, rather. Brothers and sisters, we are not going to escape the edge of the sword. I take that back. We will not escape the sword. We will indeed escape the sword's edge. And just as surely we don't escape our baptism of death any more than Israel circumnavigated the baptism unto Moses. I say again, we don't have a way out, we have a way through. And what God provides his children as the way of escape is the very thing he uses to drown his enemies. When you realize this, you at once apprehend that it just doesn't matter. It's my favorite speech. There was one swear word in, uh, swear word in it, so I couldn't play it because Jeff would have killed me. But if you've ever seen Meatballs, you know the speech that Jim Murray gave to camp kids. It just doesn't matter if we lose to Mohawk. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if we win or lose the game. It just doesn't matter who is elected president of the United States. It just doesn't matter what the disease is. It just doesn't matter if we win. If God in heaven above points his finger to our side of the field. If we play so far above our heads, our noses bleed, and we beat Mohawk it still won't matter because the, because the girls will still date Mohawk because they have all the money. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if your kid ever plays high school football again because of COVID. It just doesn't matter if you are able to pursue your career. It just doesn't matter if they close down borders. It just doesn't matter. 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 Why? My dad is having a third heart attack in heaven right now. Because, brothers and sisters, if no weapon formed against us shall prosper, if, if, if as it turns out that happens to be true and not just good preaching, and mind you, I made a deal with myself. Tonight I'm not preaching. I'm telling the truth. If no weapon formed against us shall prosper, if we are more than conquerors, if God be for us, if what the world, the flesh, and the devil mean for evil, God means for good. If our strength is made perfect in weakness. If God has caused us to always triumph in every place in Christ. If the battle belongs to the Lord. If all things work together for good. For who? For who? To them that love God. Then all we have to do is love God. And it just doesn't matter. If all that is true, then in the words of my fellow comrade, COVID-19 ain't no thing but a chicken wing.
All we have to do is love God and it's going to work out. But how? How do we love God? Well, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. Hello, somebody. Unpack that existential truth or something. Well, because we fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is how we fulfill the great commission. It's the manner in which we fulfill the great commission. The great commission is what we do. The great commandment is how we do it. And when we do that, we obey the commandments of God and we love God. And if we'll just obey his commandments, it just doesn't matter what the world does. Joe Montana didn't march the ball down the field by being physically still, brothers and sisters, but by spiritual stillness. So what do you do when you find yourself trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea? Well, you don't march to the devil, moron. You march to the sea. And you keep marching until the waters part. And that's why they call it faith. That's where we can see salvation before we reach heaven's shore. As we march to the sea. The mass of humanity where the fish swim. That's where we see salvation. And I believe the Lord himself demonstrated this for us and perchance the most unlikely place to end this conference. What did Jesus do on the way through? Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered uh, answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. You know what Jeremiah said? In quoting God in his stead, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Jericho was a cursed city situated hard by Jerusalem. Meaning for Bartimaeus, God wasn't nearly as far off as he seemed. Help was not as improbable as he thought. Do you know where God is, brothers and sisters? He's always at hand. He's a very present help in time of trouble. When I was a kid, I thought a lie was a very present help in time of trouble. But as it turns out, no, it's talking about God. Listen, God knows what the lost is going through, and he cares. Impossible as that may seem to a Calvinist. Or some other mindless cultist for a sovereign God. All right, I failed. (laughs) But you can't dangle out Calvinism in front of me. It's not fair. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He was despised, rejected, shamed, beaten, broken, blamed. The difference being, he didn't deserve it. We did. 
He was just. We weren't. He suffered for us. We didn't suffer for him. His pain was cause, not consequence. He is not a God who is afar off. He wants to go through it with you. He wants to help. Friends, the greatest news that this miserable, arrogant, prideful, troublemaking, mercurial sinner ever heard in his miserable life is this. Jesus is the friend of sinners. You want Jesus as your friend? If you do, all you have to do is identify as a sinner in need of a Savior. So if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're looking for the greatest friend in the universe, then pay attention to what you're about to hear in the next few minutes. But for the saved in this room, I will address you from here out. Paul's pattern is this. We owe a debt to every man that we come in contact with. And that debt is the message of the gospel. And instead of thinking to yourself how impractical that must be, and then walking away from what you know is the commandment of God, it is time in these last days that we figure out exactly how to fulfill such a commandment. So I want you to very quickly see a few elements from our passage for you to consider. The first being taken from verse 46. I want you to see first the crowd. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people. The Bible tells us great is the mystery of godliness, and great indeed that God would be manifest in the flesh. And here he comes, the eternal God from his high and holy place down to miserable mankind, veiled in the frailty of Adam's flesh, taking the time to pass through a cursed city on a cursed planet filled with cursed people who are completely ignoring a cursed man who is helpless to save himself from a cursed condition. Lo, he approaches, the light of the world, shining in a dark place, the bread of heaven, the fountain of living waters, to succor the sterile and sapless dead branches broken from the true vine through Adam's fall. Yet the vine has now grown and extended to the citizenry of Jericho, down its own municipal highway, and is willing, eager even, to engraft them back into their intended state, disposed to make them again green and supple and fruitful, a vine that has branches extending out to sinners in different cities and cultures. You know what that is? That's missions, brother. That's missions. Jesus of Nazareth, though God, willing to condescend to men of lower estate, willing to love his enemies, willing to call them brother without shame, only to be viewed with skepticism and revilement. This is how Jesus spent his days. This was his occupation on the way through. Only finding interest as a means of entertainment through perchance some miracle or free lunch. Only to be lightly esteemed, if at all, by the great number of people. A curiously, ardently religious throng. And yet they were the problem. who because they were not yet physically withered, not yet physically wanting, not yet physically blind, were, un were unable to discern their spiritual maladies. No friends, there was but a solitary man among the casually religious, ardently sensual throng who would benefit from this incredible circumstance. The old, beleaguered, blind, begging, broke, joke Bartimaeus who had but one thing and one thing only going for him. He knew that he had a need that only divine grace could meet. And as it turns out, that's the only thing you need. Because that is what God is looking for among the raging, foaming, swelling sea of sinners. Enter ye in at the straight gate, Matthew chapter 7, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what? Few there be that find it. The Christian crowd has a problem. You want to know what it is? They're going to hell. So what's the context? Beware of false prophets. 
I suppose the great calamity of Western culture is the number of people who confuse curiosity about Jesus with conversion to him. Those who praise, praise. Worship, worship. Love, love. Serve, service. But in their hearts where God alone sees, they have fallen short of the praise and worship and love and service of Jehovah God. They, like the Athenians and strangers of Acts 17, obscure authentic biblical New Testament Christianity with spending their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Yo, he's doing it. Never taking the time to examine the evidence which points to the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth and his words which have already been revealed. That's the revelation God wants you to have. The revelation that has already been and that is recorded in a book. The words which he spake as he walked among them, the evidence parading through the streets of Jericho, the words of his glorious revelation echoing from his body, <coughs> his very voice from which emanates his very words, which alone have the right to be called spirit and life. Down there, highway. Listen, there's always a crowd around Jesus Christ. They're always squinting their eyes. They're always lifting up their hands. They're always really, really, really excited about praise and worship and fellowship. But in their private life, they have no time for God. There is no public worship without private worship, brothers and sisters. Laodiceans either forgot that or they never knew. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. You'll come to me to find a singles ministry where you can get a girl. Oh, now, as they used to say in the Ozarks, now he left preaching and gone to Metlin. <laughs> oh, you'll come for a concert. Right? You'll come for intellectual stimulation. You'll come because you found that in the world you're a geek, and a church, a Baptist Fundy church of 250, is the only place where you might be mistaken for cool. You know, because you were all all state at your Christian school, right? Some of you homeschoolers were all house. <laughs> but you wouldn't have made first cuts at that public high school on that ball team. You figured that trick out, didn't you? And you took that show to the Baptist church. Don't kid me, brother. That's the crowd for you every time. You want to know about the religious crowd? Hosanna! Hosanna! I'm sorry, I'm not doing it right. Same crowd three days later. Kill him! We have no king but Caesar! Yeah. We will not have this man to rule over us. I didn't know this was about lordship. Get this Jesus character out of here. I want to go back to singing Jesus is my boyfriend songs. That was more fun than biblical preaching. Oh yeah, man. Free food, 5,000 people. 
hard preaching. The disciples are thinking about leaving. And so the man with the foot-shaped mouth steps up to the plate and actually hits a dinger. Where are you going to go? Oh, good question. The devil or the deep blue sea? And the disciples were like, the devil. And Peter goes, no, thou hast the words of eternal life. Good job, Peter. Write that one down. You're going to say some things you're going to regret later. Remember this day. (laughs) This was a good day. I want you to see the character. Verse 46 again, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now, Jericho, I am told, is sublime. I have a bucket list, term of our generation, I suppose. I fear I'll just never be able to actually make it to the promised land. A regret I have often. But my father would have described Jericho thusly. Set before the the backdrop of lush green hills lying lazily beneath the deep azure of the Mediterranean firmament. Generously adorned with palm trees. Notwithstanding, it was, as previously stated, a wicked city filled with wicked people and a wicked world. But that doesn't always mean there isn't significant residual physical beauty from the dispensation of innocence. We see this in serpents themselves. Now, if you're into serpents and you like snakes, I'm here to tell you, we're probably not going to be very good friends. (laughs) But I get it. I get the love of snakes. I mean, I don't get it emotionally, but intellectually, I get it. Have you, you, know, have you met my python, Daryl? No. Bye. <laughs> I'm not interested in meeting Daryl. But there's two exhibits that I always watch the most when I'm at the zoo. Primates, because they're most like humans. Three otters, because I think they're super cute. Man card revoked. (laughs) Don't you just want (laughs) to... I can't help it. Otters, man, they're the... So cute. Okay, we're moving on. Have you ever seen the moms, like, like, like... (laughs) Like, do the backs, you know, float and little babies? Come on, man. I mean, that's cute, right? Kale? All right, whatever. Let's just keep going. And snakes, they move, but they don't move. Some of them are are covered with individual hexagons of different colors, iridium covering, almost like every precious stone. But a blind man doesn't care what exhibit he's in at the zoo, does he? <clears throat> you see, Bartimaeus couldn't enjoy any of it, at least not the visual wonder. Do you know why that is? That's a portrait that God has given us of a lost man who has not received the free gift of eternal life offered through the gospel. He is enveloped by the beauty and mercy and power of God. He is surrounded by the general revelation of physical creation. He can observe the sun, moon, and stars obeying in their courses. He can test and measure the sheer odds of where and how we exist and the minute variances by which this planet and the lives of its inhabitants are sustained. He can peruse the annals of civilization and apprehend that only those cultures which allowed at least the governing ideals of Mosaic order and its jurisprudence to peaceably and righteously govern have been able to subdue our common lewdness and baseness and malevolence, allowing them and their posterities to enjoy at least some protracted semblance of liberty and morality and safety and justice. He can compare the simply framed prophecies of the Bible to current events and realize he is living in the very 11th hour of God's night watch. 
he can then collate and categorize these observations, considering how the specific revelation of the Word of God operates in unison with the whole sweep of legitimate Newtonian science, unbiased philosophy, accredited history, current events, and the observable sophistication of human emotion as subjected to the banal repetitions and responsibilities, tragedies and triumphs, traumas and, dram and dramas of our shared mortal struggle. How all of it, the mammoth aggregate, present an incisive verification of every claim of Scripture, both natural and supernatural, especially those claims of the gospel to wit, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried and, and, and rose again physically, bodily, literally, the third day according to the Scriptures, and that in so doing rendered irrelevant and specious all world views and religions operating under the moniker Christian or otherwise. Yet in spite of this beauty and truth and hope within which our Lord has veritably baptized the blind beggar, he cannot see what calamity. Well, why? Why if it's as obvious as you say? If it's as clear as you make it? Why can so many not see, many of whom, being much smarter and more knowledgeable than you, a mere verbose Baptist preacher screeching in a room in Tuscarawas County? First time I ever said that right, praise the Lord. A great question. <laughs> a great question to be sure. And I'm so happy you happened to have asked. Because here's what Scripture proffers as an answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Seeing therefore we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Natural man cannot see because he has an enemy whose power and craft and villainy surpass human understanding, who inveterately hates him, who has rigged this world system to keep him in bondage to things and experiences and information which have been distorted, that he should slumber and stumble and grope through life guided by other men's blind philosophical conjectures. Never knowing that he or they are blind, for he as they has never known sight. Unaware that Plato himself never clawed his way out from the cave of his own making. Oblivious to a creator, to the love of Christ, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to the only solution for the unspeakable eternal horrors which await him. The second the silver cord breaks. Hearing story of Dying men's visions, they cling to the mad, desperate, and unfounded hope that somehow, someone, or something good is tending the light at the end of the tunnel. Just as blind Bartimaeus sees no beauty in Jericho, the lost man is visionless of the beauty, mercy, provision, and wonder of Christ. He cannot see God provided him the precious riches of family. He cannot perceive God gave him ministers of righteousness, both in secular and sacred realms. He does not know God orchestrated his visit to the doctor, which detected a growth which could not have been stopped had it been a few more days. He cannot see that the greatest disappointment in his life actually shielded him from unendurable emotional pain. No, friends, do you know what a spiritually blind man does instead? 
Therefore thou art inexcusable, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Alexander Pope wrote, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. I bet you thought that was Frank Sinatra or Elvis. But trust me, they borrowed that from Alexander Pope. You know he was right. But why? Why do fools rush in where angels fear to tread? Because they're brave? See some matte black souped up pickup truck sound system vibrating your rear view mirror makes you want to go kill who's ever in it <laughs> pull up to the side of this moron he's got you know like calvin like peeing on hobbs or what like ohio state or whatever Brothers, love not the things of this world. <laughs> and he's got a sticker on there, no fear. And you pull up to see this monster and it's some prepubescent pizza face 14-year-old. <laughs> looking emaciated. No fear. You know. Heaven won't have me and hell's afraid I'll take over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're shaking in their boots. <laughs> you got a bad and peeing on Calvin with that one. Come on, man. Fools rush in, not because they're brave, because they're blind. And because they're blind, they're stupid. Blind man doesn't know he's on thin ice or a narrow passage next to a cliff or miraculously averting danger going 90 miles an hour on a dark highway, drunk and bleary eyed while munching on fast food and swerving all over the road, sexting, passing deer and potholes and people he never sees. He's fractions away from eternal hellfire. He's not brave, he's a moron. He's blind, he's ignorant, he's stupid. A blind man can find emotional attachment with what he can feel. Are here, he can be placed beneath the majesty of a sunrise while clinging to some dead wooden cane, getting more emotional and intellectual stimulation from a curved stick than from the wonders of the master artist and the firmament which declares its creator's glory. The vast portrait of divine witness to his conscience painted upon the canvas of the cosmos under which he shuffles unaware through life. Why? Because he's blind. And because he's blind, he's totally dependent on physical stimulus and other blind men for direction. He's a beggar. He's a beggar because he's forced to beg. The world is designed to make a man a beggar. Money, sports, sex, people, things, power, position, station, promotion. In youth, we may very well convince ourselves of our worth but here's what I'm experiencing in my life lately. As the clock ticks, he feels the uneasy, steadily growing awareness of mortality. You know what he's realizing? No matter in station in life, he's a beggar. Never filled, never satisfied, no toy, no one, no thing, no position, no experience, no promotion, no knowledge, no income. Ever satisfied. One day he checks himself into the hospital for the last time. Do you know what he's doing? He's begging for another month, another week, another day, 
another hour. Begging like Voltaire, who while expiring thrashed in panic, screaming about the flames that were licking at his feet, offering his physician half his fortune for a few more days of life. Man has a hole in his soul that can only be filled by the Spirit of God. That Spirit who alone can free us from the bondage of sin and dependence on people and circumstances for contentment. That Spirit who can cause man to approach the deathbed as victorious, as a conqueror, as a rich ruler's son receiving an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away instead of rattling out his final ghost-like breath as a surf to sensuality. What is your answer to that problem? Well, I'm saved. What is your neighbor's answer to that problem? Everyone in this room, all of our neighbors, they know our political affiliations, but they don't know our Lord. And look at the cry. Look at the cry of the old broke joke, blind, beleaguered beggar, Bartimaeus. And when he heard that it was Jesus from Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Give me what I don't deserve. And don't give me what I do deserve. Because I am a sinner. And what is the consequence? What is the consequence of the cry? Verse 49. And what? He stood still. I wonder if when Kenny talked to us about standing still to see the salvation of the Lord, he meant that we occupy ourselves with the activity that Christ was engaged in when he stood still to see the salvation of Bartimaeus. Here is Christ, the Son of God. Do you know what his name is? According to Isaiah, his name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you know what he's doing in Jericho? He's passing through to die, to take the sins of the whole world on his shoulders. He's literally going to become sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Before that, he will be beaten all night, stripped, tortured, coronated with thorns, receive 40 stripes from a cat of nine tails. He is going to be betrayed and abandoned. He is going to have his father turn his back on him for drinking of the cup of suffering and sin. And with all this going on, and with all this busy schedule, and with all of this weight and stress, and with everything crashing down around him, The weight of the world, the sweating of great drops of blood, the surrounding of the bulls of Bashan, the destiny of man, the concern for friends and family. He passes by a single blind beggar whom the world has forgotten, whom the city has ignored, whom his family has despised. He stinks, he's weak, he's worthless, he smells like stale pee, he's helpless, and someone said, there's Jesus. And he can't see him, but the bum can still hear, and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's heard about this man, this Jesus. He claims to be God. He claims to have come to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to set the prisoner free, to cause the dumb to speak, the lame to walk. Why, they said, he's come to cause the blind to see. And that's why they call it faith. Because we're saved by grace through faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And Christ tells this blind, broke joke Bartimaeus. This beggar. This worthless man. My faith has made me whole. And Jesus, though so busy... And though so stressed, and though so important, and though so rich, and though so powerful, and though so high and holy, and Bartimaeus, though so wretched, and so weak, and so forgotten, and so ignored, and so mocked, 
And though so blind, cries out in despair, Oh God, have mercy on me. Hear my humble cry, thou friend of sinners, do not pass me by. And do you know what happened? Do you? Because it's the most amazing thing to me than the healing itself. It is indeed, truly, one of the most amazing things in all of the Bible. God stood still. And so today... As we close, this same Jesus who has passed into the heavens, for death could not defeat him, for the grave could not hold him, for hell could not contain him, for the devil could not depose him, and is presently seated at the right hand of the Father, even today, even now. Do you know what gets his attention still? Do you think it's Supreme Court judges? Is that what you think? What do you think? You think they, they, they have a, like a, a, a running screen in the throne room of like, you know, what's going on on Fox News? So everybody in heaven can do that for their devotions instead of read their Bible? Is that what you think? You think it's who becomes the president of the United States? You think that gets God's attention? Is that what you think? What have you been reading, man? Life magazine, brother? Don't tell me, brother. Do you think it's international trade deals? Do you think it's homeland security? Do you think it's the Bilderbergers? Do you think he gives a rip? You know what's been going on in eternity? Broken only for 33 and a half years. You know what's been going on up there? I mean, it's pretty awesome, but I, I get the idea it, it might be redundant if it weren't so awesome. Seems to me it's a bunch of people robed in white falling down and rising up and falling down and rising up with like monsters and stuff, like dancing. Like to the time of thunder and lightning and smoke and a sea of coals and, 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 and these really tripped out beings you know, that with, have three sets of wings, like a twain they cover their feet, and twain they cover, twain they cover their face, and twain they cover their feet, and, 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 and twain they fly. And they're zipping around this dome of the unapproachable glory of his majesty. And you know what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy. Hey, hey, six million, six million Jews just died in you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who, but have you heard about Pizzagate? Holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The seventh candle is about to go out. You know what this means? It means there's going to be diseases and panic, and there's going to be people freaking out. It's going to be the church's, uh, at least the Laodicean ages, greatest opportunity for evangelism. There's going to be a pandemic, and whether you think it's real or not, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what you bring. It doesn't matter the crisis. It doesn't matter the news. It, it doesn't matter the political affiliations. It doesn't matter who dies. It doesn't matter who's born. In heaven, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come except for one thing. And what is the one thing that makes heaven stand still today as it did in Bartimaeus' day? It's a single, blind, broke, joke, beggar in your town 
who cries out to God, have mercy on me. And the angels of heaven stop and rejoice. Now that's the activity that we need to be engaged in, armed with such knowledge, brothers and sisters. What else is there? What else is there? Friend, I leave you with this thought tonight. It's a wonderful thought. It's a blessed thought. It's an encouraging thought. It's a thought that a man would never dare entertain were it not for the revelation of God about himself and his word. That being that there is no one or no thing in the universe as high and as deep and as wide, as mighty and mysterious, as powerful and propitious, as dreadful and dear, as punitive and pardoning as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But there is still one thing that makes him and all of heaven stand still. The bypassed, broken, blind, beleaguered, beggar. And you are the branch he is waiting for, whether or not he knows it. Because the Great Commission means that there's a Bartimaeus in every city and every village in the world. And how shall they hear except there be a preacher? We can't free a world that we are in bondage to ourselves. We cannot reconcile beggars when we ourselves are fighting for the scraps which fall from the portions of the king's meat and the portion of the king's drink. Paul said the world's fears are our greatest opportunities. Paul said where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So it's more fearful and it's more sinful than it's ever been. What an opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission. Kenny said last night, we're in, the, we're in the fourth quarter of 2020. But with God, we're playing the Falcons. So we're going to win. We're going to win in the end. We're going to win in the end, and so it just doesn't matter. We can't reconcile a lost world to the peace of God while we are held captive in fear. What is holding you back from your glorious march to the sea before the rapture? What is keeping you from evangelism and obedience, from seeing the salvation of the Lord in the proclamation of the gospel? Now I saw in my dream that the highway up Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did Christian Burden run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place to the cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him from his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with peace be to thee. So the first said to him, thy sins be forgiven thee. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. The third also set a mark in his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bade him look on as he ran, and that he should give it at the celestial gate. So they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What place is this? Here must be the beginning of my bliss. Here must the burden fall from off my back. Must hear the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that was there put to shame for me. My greatest fear of COVID-19 is that Wildwood Baptist Church would never truly know what the right Reverend Bunyan was writing about and would never make their one opportunity to have a glorious march to the sea 
We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.